Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So you may or may not know, but we do monthly Zoom get-togethers, uh, freak hangouts on Zoom with our patrons on Patreon. Uh, Christmas night, we thought we would uh, try something a little bit different. Yeah, so we just put it out on the Freaks group on Facebook. Hey, we're doing a Zoom tonight. And we had so much fun. It was kind of a spur of the moment thing. Impromptu. Impromptu, if you will. And uh, we we spoke with uh, people all over the United States. But also uh, Scotland. Yeah. Uh, Russia, Saint Petersburg, Russia. It was uh, it was a real treat, and as I said, it was kind of a last minute thing. We had a blast doing it, and we look forward to doing that again with you. Of course, you can always be a patron and uh, get in on those monthly Zoom meetings. Uh, just go to theboxofoddities.com when you support us then that's one of the benefits that uh, comes with the deal. I mean, if you want to call it a benefit. Yeah, well. It's just, that's another Zoom meeting, I guess, <laughs> if you don't want to look at it that way. <laughs> one, one man's treasure is another man's trash. <laughs> now, I heard you uh, in the other room getting ready for... Yeah your story and um it sounds like i am in for some weird stuff well it could be concerning actually a robot may not injure a human being <laughs> robot a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except when such orders would conflict with the first law a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Are these the rules of the robots? Yep, the robot rule. Um, <laughs> stop making fun of the way I say robot. No, I love it. These are the three laws of robotics, sometimes called just the three laws or Asimov's laws. 
These are a set of rules that Isaac Asimov put forth uh, first in his 1942 short story, Runaround, which was included in the 1950s collection, I, Robot. In I, Robot, the three laws were quoted from the Handbook of Robotics, 56th edition, 2058 AD. Uh, Asimov eventually added a fourth law, which states a robot may not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm. The three laws have spread through the science fiction community and are referred to in many books. And even though it was originally written in 1942, it has a huge impact today on the ethics of artificial intelligence. And it's a good thing because scientists have recently announced and published papers on their work on bio-robots or xenobots. Have you heard about these? Xenobots. Yeah, no. X-E-N-O-B-O-T-S. Is it like an android kind of thing? It's that and more. They've created in the Harvard laboratories a synthetic life form that can reproduce. Oh. Why, what's the point of having a synthetic life form reproduce? Don't we want to be in control of... That kind of business? That was my initial reaction, yes. What's its purpose? What's its mission? It could be anything. That's what's concerning. Researchers have created essentially biological robots using living cells that can not only complete tasks, but can also reproduce. And they reproduce in a way that no other living creature does. It's completely unique. Do they need more than one of them to reproduce or can they reproduce on their own they can reproduce on their own these synthetic life forms are designed by computers to perform specific functions the blueprints are drawn up on a supercomputer and then the bio robots are created by mixing skin cells and heart muscle cells from the extremely early stages of growth from african clawed frog embryos but even though they're created from frog cells, they are not frogs. According to the published report in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, researchers from Harvard and Tufts University for the first time used a uh, supercomputer to design a blueprint that has organized cells in a configuration that can do tasks such as carrying objects or pushing or moving things around. Basic tasks, but tasks nonetheless. And then they can reproduce. It's called kinematic replication. Now, this, according to the researchers, is seen at the molecular level, but never at this level or this stage of, of growth, okay. of life. Or is it life? This indicates that living cells have far more potential behaviors and modifications than previously discovered just in the natural world. In other words, we're discovering that we can make living cells do things that nature hasn't done yet. Mm -hmm. According to the website for the Weiss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering at Harvard University, the computer-designed and hand-assembled organisms can swim out into their little uh, dishes and find single cells. They gather hundreds of them together and assemble little baby xeno-robots inside their Pac-Man-shaped mouths. Oh. They don't need two of them, just one. After a few days, these little things become new xenobots, 
and they look and move just like their parents. And they can do this over and over again. Now, Michael Levine, PhD, who is a professor of biology and the director of the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University. And Avril's brother. He's always making things so complicated. And he is the co-leader in this research. And he says that, quote, these cells would be sitting on the outside of a tadpole, keeping out pathogens and redistributing mucus. But we're putting them into a novel context. We're giving the cells a chance to reimagine their multicellularity. Oh, my God. Yeah, think like, about this. No, I, you know, that's whoa. <laughs> that's yeah. whoa science. It's whoa science. And what these cells did imagine is something very different than skin. People have thought for quite a long time that that we've worked out all the different ways that life can reproduce or replicate. But this is something that has never been observed before. That's according to Douglas Blackstone, Ph.D. He's a senior scientist at Tufts and the Weiss Institute. Researchers are saying that this is extremely profound, that the cells that uh, have the genome of a frog have been freed from becoming tadpoles, and they use their collective intelligence, a plasticity, to do something astounding. That's incredible. In the early experiments, they were amazed to find out that these xenobots could be designed to achieve simple tasks. But they were stunned to find out that these computer-designed collections of cells could spontaneously replicate. Quote, we have the full unaltered frog genome, but it gave us no hint that these cells can work together on this new task of gathering and then compressing separate cells into working self copies. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Now, <clears throat> does this mean that the replication or the reproduction was not their goal no. that wasn't part of their nope. research that it, they just noticed it started happening yep Ooh, that's weird it's pretty creepy <laughs> but also it's really interesting to think that the cells that make up different parts of us us meaning like all of it don't have to necessarily be what those cells are that they're just part of and working with the other parts of you to be to like do their part yeah but that part doesn't have to be that part it nope. can be a different part yep and they, and they can reprogram these cells to do all kinds of different things that's bananas now in the cells that replicated they did it in a way that's very different from how frogs do it in fact, no animal or plant known to science replicates in this way, according to Sam Kriegman, Ph.D., who is the lead author of the study. Now, the problem is, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but the thing is, the fact is, as soon as they replicate, the parents died. Oh, they could make children, but the system that created them would die out immediately. Hmm. So the researchers thought, you know, it'd be a good idea. Very much unlike my train of thought. Let's see if we can keep them alive so they'll keep replicating. Right. And that's when they employed the artificial intelligence program working on the Deep Green Supercomputer Cluster at UVM Vermont Advanced Computing Corps to create an evolutionary algorithm. They were able to test billions of body shapes in the simulation to find out the ones that would allow the cells to be most effective at uh, reproducing. 
billions. Now, this supercomputer, this deep green supercomputer cluster took months of nonstop chugging away, as they said, trial and error before it came up with a shape that resembled (laughs) Pac-Man. One of the researchers said, it's very non-intuitive. It looks very simple, but it's not something a human engineer would come up with. So many questions like, why one tiny mouth, not five? But the computer, the supercomputer, came up with this design, and it worked. They sent the results to the lab, where they hand-built these little Pac-Man parents out of frog cells. These parents built children, who built grandchildren, who built great-grandchildren, who built great-great-great-grandchildren. The design greatly extended the number of generations that it would build. So the question is, what the hell are these things? They can be classified as robots, but they also are organisms, or are they? Are they something entirely different? Are they a hybrid? This is a subject of intense debate right now, but one of the researchers said, quote, they're neither a traditional robot nor a known species of animal. It's an entire new class of artifact, a living programmable organism synthetic life okay but can it eat ocean trash because that's what i want it to do it's interesting you say that that is one of the applications they think that this is good for no needless (laughs) did you just slap me i did i'm sorry i'm very excited (laughs) needless to say self-replicating biotechnology can be concerning for many people but the team of researchers stress that these xenobots or bio-robots are contained in a lab. They won't get away, uh, so don't worry about that. Also, they're easily extinguished, and they are vetted by federal, state, and institutional ethics experts. Scientists are more focused on the application, one of which is to eat plastic in the ocean. Yes! And they say that uh, they're more focused on the challenges in society and how our technology is really not fast enough to adapt. We're creating problems faster than we can solve them. Right. One researcher said we need to create a technical solution that grows at the same rate as the challenges we face. Xenobots are fast and adaptable, which might make them the right answer to various challenges from collecting microplastics in the ocean to medical applications. If we can tell collections of cells to do what we want them to do, ultimately, that's regenerative medicine. It's like inner space. Yes, it's the solution to traumatic injury, birth defects, cancer, aging. All of these different problems are here because we don't know how to predict and control what groups of cells are going to build. Xenobots are a new platform for teaching us. Ooh, this is very exciting. Now, this is at its very, very earliest stages of development. The uh, the paper was published a year ago. There are so many unanswered questions, starting, of course, with, is it a life form or is it a robot? What are the ethics involved? It seems to be something kind of in between. It's like a synthetic life form is the best way we can define it right now. But if it can replicate, doesn't that, by definition, suggest that it can evolve? And if it does evolve... Would it become intelligent and ultimately self-aware? Again, a quote from iRobot, uh, Isaac Asimov. All normal life consciously or otherwise resents domination. 
If the domination is by an inferior or by a supposed inferior, the resentment becomes stronger. Physically and in an extent mentally, a robot, any robot, is superior to human beings. So what makes him slavish then? Only the first law. So it's pretty cool, but get ready to hail our robot overlords probably pretty soon. Well, I mean, if they can take care of the ocean trash thing, then maybe they deserve to be in charge. <laughs> My source information, CNN.com, the Weiss Institute at Harvard University's website, Earthly Mission and Wikipedia. And now that thing in the middle. Like many civilizations before and after, Vikings believed in an afterlife. Viking heaven was called Valhalla, and apparently it was a magical place. The Vikings believed that when you died, you went to Valhalla, and there you received a giant goat whose udders provided an endless stream of beer. Heaven indeed. Did you know if your dog eats half a box of milk chocolates, you can get it to throw up by giving it a tablespoon of hydrogen peroxide? Want to see photos of what happens? This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's a-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got an email from Michelle who uh, wanted to talk about naming her inner bitch. <laughs> she said, Kat and Jethro, just listening to the episode where a listener described naming her inner toxic voice. This has helped me so freaking much. I don't remember what the inner voice was that the listener said she had but it, it's a great principle mine's carl i always tell carl shut the fuck up carl you have nothing good to say to me our minds hate us sometimes anyway she says anytime my inner bitch is like well what have you accomplished today i'm like shut the fuck up cassidy cassidy I, cassidy is a great name for your inner bitch michelle thanks <laughs> and she says, it makes me feel better. We appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I think that that's a great suggestion. That voice in your head all the time that tortures you, give it a name. And, and a backstory. And a backstory. Yeah, build a whole backstory for it and just feel sorry for it. When it tells you something you don't want to hear, say, shut the hell up, Cassidy. You know what, Cordelia? Nobody asked you. I have something I would like to ask you, and that's what you got for me. Well, mine's not nearly as fun as yours is. That was fun? Actually, I might suggest, um, you know, in, in post-production, switching them around because <laughs> this is garbage. Um, okay, so on June 14th, 2014, Charles Bothuel reported his son, Charlie Bothuel V, missing. There were five? Five. Charlie Bothuels. Yes, and we will refer to them as Charles and Charlie. Charles is the dad. Charlie is the boy. Gotcha. Charlie lived with his father and stepmother, Monique Dillard Bothuel, starting in November 2011. So Charlie is missing. And 11 days later, 
Charles was being interviewed live on the Nancy Grace show when she said, this just in, we're getting reports that your son has been found in your basement. Oh, my God. Of course, Charles was like, what? (laughs) And Nancy Grace, you know, did that thing with her eyes. And she was like, can you explain that? Yeah. You know how Nancy Grace is. It always reminds me of that Nancy Grace inspired character in Gone Girl. Oh, my gosh. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We should watch Gone Girl. Anyway, so that was June 25th, 2014. After being found, Charlie said that life at his father's home was one of abuse and mistreatment. His parents' defense attorneys say Charlie is a liar who just wanted to go live with his mom. He was obviously alive mm-hmm. in the basement. Was That's he right. was he somehow contained or Was he tied up? What's the deal? He was in the basement. um, In the basement was filled with things, you know, boxes and I'm assuming an old treadmill that just had clothes hanging on it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and various other things. And he was in the basement kind of behind a pile of stuff. But he wasn't restrained in any way. He was not restrained in any way. Detroit police arrested Monique Dillard Bothuel, the stepmother of 12-year-old Charlie, and Charles, the father, in April 2015. The couple, as I said, they were arrested and Child Protective Services removed two children still in their home, not in the basement. The trial began in early 2015, and through various testimonies, this is what we learned. Charlie said he attended school in the fifth grade for about a month after moving in with his father and stepmother before they switched him to homeschooling in December. His father taught him at home using two English and one science textbook taken from an elementary school. When in seventh grade, Charlie returned to traditional school, he had trouble keeping up. He said that he just didn't know the stuff that the other kids knew. Mm. Because you can't learn all the stuff that you learn in school from an English textbook and a science textbook. Charlie said his father subjected him to physical and psychological abuse. Oh, yeah. Trigger warning, by the way. There is a lot of stuff in this that might be rough for some to hear. It's um, It does get into child abuse and such. So if you're sensitive to that topic, then probably uh, hit the old arrow arrow. You know what I'm saying? In addition to the physical and psychological abuse, he was also subjected to an extreme exercise routine. At one point during his stay with his father and stepmother, Charlie said he ran away and he wandered through the neighborhood for nearly three hours until police found him and returned him to his father's home. After police left, Charlie said his father hit him with a wooden stick and PVC pipe until his skin broke open. Charlie recalled another punishment called reaching for excellence, where he was told to stand in a corner with his arms up in the air until he was allowed to stop. He also detailed a daily exercise routine that began at 5 a.m. when he was told to drink a protein shake and then subjected to up to four hours of workouts ordered by his father. What the hell is the end game here? Well, that's debatable. In May of 2013, Charlie attempted to take his own life. Oh, no. He said living with his father was a terrible place to be. The way I would be whooped and treated, Charlie said. 
Basically, I had gotten so upset and so depressed and sad about being there to the point where I had tried to commit suicide. It was around this time when it was discovered that he'd tried to take his own life that Charlie was forced to sleep on the couch. He said, I got in trouble and part of my punishment was to sleep on the couch and that's where I slept from then on. When asked why he didn't tell anybody about the abuse, like his biological mother, for instance, he said he was scared and didn't think that anyone would believe him. His father had threatened to send Charlie to a military school in Haiti or Utah, huh. which seems like very specific things for a child to make up. And his stepmother, he said, had threatened to kill him. So he was just hiding in the basement. No. Though, I mean, fair to guess that, especially since law enforcement, including the Detroit police and the FBI, had been in the home and basement multiple times before the boy was located. Now, the house is part of a townhome complex with units that each have basement access to a communal hallway leading outside. So it's the house, the house's basement, and then that leads into a hallway that leads to the outside. Okay. Detroit Police Chief James Craig said investigators who had searched the townhouse at least three times prior found the boy barricaded in the basement behind boxes and a large storage drum. There was no way, he said, he could have erected the makeshift area of concealment. Oh, man. The prosecutors revealed that Charlie was very thin and had marks on his body from various types of abuse. He said that he complied with his stepmother's alleged demand that he remain hidden in the basement because he didn't know what would happen if he was found. Oh, good Lord. He said she barricaded him in the basement, then heard her call his father and tell him he was missing after she ordered him into the cramped hidden spot. So it sounds as though according to Charlie, that his stepmother barricaded him in the basement and then told his dad that he was missing. So the defense during the trial questioned him about past academic problems and behavioral problems that led him to eventually live with his father in the first place. Charlie admitted during this time that he had been overweight at one point and that his parents and his family doctor wanted him to lose weight and that he wanted to lose weight as well. And that was what led to what the court called an extreme and unreasonable exercise regimen that now caused him to be very thin. The defense also claimed that they believed that Charlie was not in the basement for the 11 days that he was quote unquote missing and that he was somewhere quote in the neighborhood, not in the basement all along and that he returned the day he was found. Hmm. This all seems very suspicioso. It is suspicioso. And the police said they had no way of knowing how long Charlie had been in the basement for. I'm going to ask a, a practical question okay. here. Um, he was barricaded in this area, and if he had been there for a long time, he would have had to, you know, mm -hmm. was there, were there any, um... Okay, so, Charlie was able to get in and out of this area. Okay. He said that sometimes when he knew that nobody else was home, he would sneak out of the area, go upstairs, get food, or use the restroom, and then go back down into the area. Oh my God. Michigan State Police Detective Sergeant Kenneth Ducker testified that Charlie appeared to be hiding behind an empty barrel in this array of stuff that he was behind. 
The investigator said he identified himself and told the boy to come out and that he found Charlie after about an hour of searching in the basement. The basement was so cluttered with boxes, trash, furniture, and other debris, and that the boxes that Charlie was behind were stacked up approximately six feet or so. He also said that he found several food items, including Frosted Flakes, Gatorade, soda, protein bars, and chicken bones in that area. So Charlie had been staying there for some time, but again, it's hard to tell how long. This is depressing. It really is, I'm sorry. Bothuel said he had no idea that his son was in the basement and that any anyone saying that he did was absurd. He was questioned by reporters outside his home. His behavior was a little strange, according to some, but again, we all grieve in different ways. We all handle big, scary news in different ways. Um, but it it was strange how he was interacting with reporters. What that means, I can't say because I am not a body language expert or a behavioral analysis unit member. Although she's played one on TV. Not accurate, but I've watched many, many hours of them. (laughs) Reed is 100% my favorite. He's so cute. Anyway, Charles submitted to a lie detector test and the results were inconclusive. Charles's wife refused to take a polygraph test. After being found, the boy told staff at Children's Hospital that he was beaten by his father with a PVC pipe repeatedly. He also told hospital staff that his stepmother forced him into the basement and made threats in the past that she could murder him and that no one would know since he was homeschooled. Well, they seem nice. So this trial is obviously really tough because the parents are saying things and doing things that are obviously a little suspicious and the kid's story is a little suspicious and the fact that he didn't ask anyone for help that he was able to move in and out of the basement is is weird that he wouldn't reach out especially knowing that people were looking for him was he suffering from some sort of a stockholm syndrome thing that's entirely possible he's 12 so you can't expect him to know Mm. how to behave and and expect him to rescue himself, if you will. Eventually, Charles IV pleaded guilty to fourth-degree child abuse. He and the stepmother claimed that it was actually their financial woes and their need to move on with their life that prompted that guilty plea. So they were maintaining that they didn't do it. That's right. They're innocent, but they just needed to move on with their lives. Mm. There had been a charge of torture against the two that was dropped. And because of that, the pair no longer faced life in prison. Now, the stepmother, Monique Dillard Bothuel, accepted a misdemeanor plea deal involving no jail time. Oh, my God. The deal included wiping her record after six months if she stayed out of trouble. The father, Charles, was sentenced to 18 months probation. and mandatory anger management classes. He was ordered to have no contact with his son by then 14-year-old Charlie. Did he go back and live with his mom? He did go back and live with his mom. And is he happy, healthy, and prosperous? As far as those those three descriptors, I do not know. Mm. Uh, But according to the system, he is safe and... That's all I've got for you. Wow. Yeah. No, it's really depressing. And I was going to end it with like, and now Charlie's living with his mom. 
But this is this was not a great way to spend a large chunk of your formative years. Although when I was a kid, I loved making box forts. No, and I would take no. food in. No, and that's make no. sandwiches and Mm-mm. stuff. And no. All right, moving right along. Um, Sorry about that. <clears throat> so, but he was found. He was a missing child who was found, and that's good. That is good. It's just a weird order to have told thing. I guess. Sorry. Hey, thanks to everybody that sent us uh, Christmas cards and uh, gifts oh, this my holiday goodness. season. That was really thoughtful. Very nice of you. Unnecessary, but very appreciated. We actually saved them for today, so that's going to be a nice treat later on. Yeah, we we were really behind on everything this holiday season. Uh, A big part of it was trying to get Christmas cards uh, designed and made and signed and sent out to our patrons, the members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon. Kat insisted on writing an individual message for each one, so it took a little bit of time. Well, I mean, a lot of people got a very similar message, like a happy to you and best in 2022, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. One was, I wonder what you're doing right now. I'm taking a bath. Yeah, a lot of them were bath related because (laughs) I was taking a bath. Yep. My favorite, though, was the one that said, uh, I hope you don't get bitten by a nun. (laughs) Well, it's true. Yeah. You know, I wish the best for you, and that includes not being bitten by a nun. (laughs) Anyway, have a great rest of your holidays, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Sorry, mine was such a bummer. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.